0: Welcome to Term Talk, a Federal Judicial Center video podcast. Each term, we discuss the Supreme Court cases most impactful to federal judges. Joining me is Erwin Chemerinsky, Dean of UC Berkeley Law School, and Professor Michael McConnell, Director of the Stanford Constitutional Law Center. Thank you both for helping us understand the impact of the Supreme Court's recent decisions under the Free Exercise Clause. In Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, the court specifically ruled on what a neutral and generally applicable regulation has to look like. The court was unanimous in the judgment, but the justices got there, and how they got there, were uh, they got there in very different ways. So, Dean Chemerinsky, can you please take us through the facts of Fulton?
1: The City of Philadelphia contracts with private social service agencies to inspect possible foster homes and to place children in foster care. It requires that the private social service agency agree they won't discriminate on the basis of race, sex, religion, sexual orientation. Catholic Social Services said it could not enter such an agreement because its religion prevented it from placing children with same-sex couples. City then said it would not contract with Catholic Social Services. Catholic Social Services brought a lawsuit in federal district court saying it violated free exercise of religion. The District Court and the Third Circuit ruled in favor of the city of Philadelphia. They relied on the case that you alluded to, Employment Division versus Smith from 1990, where the Supreme Court said that the Free Exercise Clause cannot be used to challenge a neutral law of general applicability. The Supreme Court unanimously reversed the Third Circuit. Chief Justice Roberts wrote the opinion for the majority. He said, a law is not of general applicability. It gives discretion to government officials. Under the Philadelphia ordinance, city officials had the discretion to create exceptions to the anti-discrimination requirement. Chief Justice Roberts said it didn't matter that no exceptions had ever been granted. It didn't matter that there'd never been discrimination against religion. The existence of discretion means it's not a law of general applicability and it has to meet strict scrutiny. And I think that's the most important takeaway for courts. Any law that burdens religion, that has discretion to give exceptions
0: is gonna have to meet strict scrutiny Be necessary to achieve a compelling government purpose. Okay, now this is a unanimous judgment, but there's no agreement about how the court got there. So what do we learn from the concurrences about what the justices are thinking? Justice Alito wrote a 77 page opinion concurring in the
1: judgment. Is joined by Judge Thomas and Gorsuch, and he explicitly calls for the overruling of Employment Division versus Smith. Justice Barrett wrote a concurring opinion, joined in full by Justice Kavanaugh, in which she said she agrees with much in Justice Alito's opinion, which said the court doesn't need in this case to overrule Employment Division versus Smith. And she says, when the court confronts that question, there'll be many difficult issues to resolve. So I think the bottom line right now is we know there are three justices who want to overrule Employment Division for Smith
0: and two are sympathetic to that position. Professor McConnell, uh, as you've written extensively about, there's much dissatisfaction with the opinion um, written in Employment Division versus Smith. Can you explain briefly what this dissatisfaction is about?
2: Yes, the the Smith opinion, which was the one that held that uh, members of the Native American Church do not have a constitutional right to use their sacrament, uh, 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 namely peyote, uh, it's been controversial. From the very beginning, the court treated the free exercise clause as a kind of an equal protection guarantee rather than as an actual substantive freedom.
0: Does there appear to be a majority willing to overturn Smith?
2: I think that's actually somewhat unlikely. It it, it seems to me there's gonna be a lot of work to be done and a lot of it's gonna have to start in the district courts because that's where uh, the the percolation process will take place. And and we've been deprived of essentially 30 years of percolation uh, on free exercise and it's time to to get going. Now, uh, a lot of people will will lament, well, doesn't that mean we're gonna have a lot of cases without clear answers? Uh, That is true. We're going to have a lot of cases, and it's going to take uh, sort of a common law constitutional uh, course of development to get answers to them.
1: I agree with Michael, but I want to emphasize what the practical question would be for the district courts and courts of appeals. If Employment Division versus Smith is overruled, they will repeatedly face the issue of how to define religion and how to determine what's a sincerely held religious belief. The consequence of employment division for Smith and not giving exceptions to general laws for religion is those issues didn't have to be faced. But once there's an exception for religion, then courts are going to have to decide what is religion
0: and what's a sincerely held religious belief. So how did the justices fit these two COVID cases, Tandon and Cuomo, into the Smith framework?
2: I think you need to look at them as as a string rather than as a as individual cases. So the court began with a case out of California uh, and it uh, upheld uh, the restriction on worship services with a concurrence concurrence from the chief justice explaining that the reason for this is that houses of worship were being treated the same way as their uh, closest comparators. Uh, Then uh, came a case out of Nevada where the casinos were, were wide open, even though that meant hundreds of people in close uh, quarters over long periods of time. And, and even then it was a five to four decision. I find that one extremely puzzling. I don't see how uh, it, how any court could have come to the conclusion uh, that houses of worship were in fact not, were being treated as well when the casinos are, are, are wide open. Then came the Brooklyn case and, uh, and t- Justice Ginsburg had, had uh, was no longer on the court, uh, replaced by Justice Barrett. And again, a five to four decision, but the other way, this time focusing on the fact that uh, the houses of worship were, um, were being treated worse than some comparators, not all comparators, but there were some institutions that seemed to present the same uh, general level of health risk uh, and, uh, and were be, being treated better. And I think even worse than that was that the governor could rejigger the geographic r- districts uh, kind of at, at whim. And he did it even on the very eve of trial seeming to, in an attempt to avoid the, uh, uh, a decision in the case. And so the court then went the other way and protected, said so, so this is not equal treatment of the houses of worship and therefore of uh, free exercise clause does kick in. And then the final case I think was pretty hard the other way the tendon case involved uh, uh, generally applicable rules on meetings of how uh, in people's houses of limiting them to no more than 3 families. Even so uh, the court uh, concluded that the, that the religious meetings were being treated worse than other things, not other meetings in houses, but other things out in uh, the uh, economy that presented similar um, Uh, risk levels. I I think the bottom line here from many of the justices is that while they may need to defer and do need to defer to public health justifications, when the government, the governors and mayors and so forth are making value judgments that, oh, you know, casinos or bicycle shops or liquor stores are essential, but houses of worship, no, worship isn't essential. Worship is really you know, kind of an unnecessary thing uh, that that is uh, contrary to the very principle of the First Amendment.
0: Dean Chemerinsky, what what takeaways, what are the takeaways from the COVID cases, the Brooklyn or Cuomo case, and the Tandon versus Newsom case from your view? It's important to note that these were not decisions on the merits by the
1: Supreme Court, these came to the court on its so called shadow docket emergency basis, requests for injunctions. I think it's also important to note the difference between the first two cases Michael mentions and the latter two. The first two are five four, with the majority being Roberts, Ginsburg, Brierson, and Kagan. The latter two are five four, with the majority being Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. We here see the dramatic effect of Justice Ginsburg replaced by Justice Barrett. I'd stress two takeaways for the lower courts. The first is that religion has to be treated as leniently as the most leniently regulated secular activity. Tandon versus Newsom, here that Michael was talking about, is so important. There, Governor Newsom's order said there cannot be more than three households of people gathered in any home. Didn't matter, it was for religious or non religious reasons. Didn't matter, it was to watch the Super Bowl or to pray. There is no discrimination against religion. But the court said, because some secular businesses can open, therefore strict scrutiny has to be met in limiting gatherings for religious worship. That's why I say I think this means that religion has to be treated as favorably as the most leniently regulated secular activity. And second, the court stressed that the fact that the regulation had changed did not make the case moot it's different than the usual mootness requirements we often see in federal court.
0: Professor McConnell, you get the last word.
2: Erwin, um, uh, what Erwin just said is, is, is quite uh, accurate, uh, but of course the, the secular activity has to be comparable. And I think this is really where district judges need to be quite careful, is trying to figure out what it amounts to comparability. And I think the real what really happened to the state of California in the Tandon case is that uh, it did not think to put in evidence having to do with the various comparators that were raised in the briefs from the other side and so on. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they might have been able to carry their burden in the case, but, uh, but they didn't. This was partly because of the rushed character of the preliminary injunction uh, motion. And of course, the mootness point is very important. But when you have orders that can be moved, you know, they were being, they were constantly changing, and they could change back the next day. So the capable of repetition yet evading review principle of mootness seems especially powerful in
0: this context. All right, I want to thank you both for helping us understand these cases, and uh, we will look forward to seeing you again soon.
2: Thank you.